What's up, guys? Welcome back. I'm Colton McCormack, and this is the Certified Wrench Podcast. Um, today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine. He uh, He's out in West Texas, so I do apologize for the sound quality in certain points of the podcast. Uh, we are doing this via FaceTime, and uh, so he doesn't have the best reception because of where he's at, but uh, anyways, go ahead and introduce yourself big dog all right my name is uh tj woodland and i am the uh owner of black foot mechanical i uh, went independent uh in 2020 right on man uh so tj here mr blackfoot as i know him he uh he works in the oil fields and uh of course he's independent uh i kind of want to dive into well, for you know, we'll talk about your history and shit, but uh, I want to dive into what you do out there because you know, heavy equipment field tech here. I don't know anything about what you do, um, so I would like to learn um, what you do and explain it to me. But let's let's dive into your background first, and you know, because okay. you, you have a great great background, um, college wise and all that stuff. So, where'd you start at? Well, uh, growing up as a kid, I, I grew up working on stuff, tinkering with stuff. My dad has stories about how I um, uh, would take apart all of his stuff, took apart his VCR, took apart his speakers, <laughs> and just as a little kid, I was just getting into it, just messing it up, going through it, because I was just curious. And then as I got older, you know, and more, you know, aware, I started building stuff. And, you know, one of the things my parents always talk about is me and my buddy, we built a, a potato gun. Okay. And so we... Um, uh, we built that. We were shooting all my mom's fruit at trash cans and stuff. Just, <laughs> that was pretty funny. But I was, uh, it was in like fifth or sixth grade when we did that. And then uh, my dad always kind of worked on his own cars. Uh, both, you know, both my grandparents on either side of my family are real blue collar. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of got passed down to both my parents. So they always worked on all their own cars, fixed all their own stuff. So my dad kind of showed me how to change oil, do brakes. Um, just basic maintenance on the car. Yo. And then from there, I grew up and I was, I got into um, uh, riding and racing dirt bikes. So I raced dirt bikes for a while. And as a result, I learned how to wrench on those, um, you know, work and repair on those, do all the maintenance. And then when I got into high school, I got into a, uh, a program called ROP, the Regional Occupational Program. And the one I did was manufacturing technology. So we started off pretty basic doing sheet metal work, working with hand tools. Then we learned how to do machining, using drill presses, waves, mills. We even did stuff like heat treating. And then eventually it went to welding. And Damn. just pretty much all kind of the manufacturing process that they taught. They taught us how to do all that. So finding that kind of program in high school was amazing it was kind of pretty instrumental to where i ended up where i am now yeah for sure i mean that's great um uh, we didn't explain this so where'd you grow up at i grew up in southern california so i was born in uh upland technically because where my parents lived in temecula marietta didn't have a birthing center because it was still pretty out there at the time <laughs> in you know 1989 so 
I was born in Auckland, but my family lived in the Temecula Marietta area in the Empire. And so that's that's where I grew up until I moved uh moved away later on in life. Okay. Yeah, and I guess we'll touch on where you're at now, um once we get through your background here. <laughs> yeah, so so in high school, you know, me and my buddies would always hang out and we'd build hot rods and four wheel drive cars muscle cars and all that kind of stuff. In addition to, I pretty much rode dirt bikes from when I started all through until pretty recently. I still, I'm actually getting back on the bike pretty soon, but so doing all that, I learned how to, how to wrench, how to build engines, oh, how yeah. to just repair stuff. I used kind of, we used a lot of the skills that we all learned in that RP program and applied it to all the fun stuff we wanted to do with the, the hot rods, the cars, the four wheel drive. No, when you were and all that stuff. when you were doing that, did you know that that's what you wanted to do in life? Not quite. Like it was always one of those things. It's like it was something that we did for fun. So we never thought. I never thought. Oh, you know, I'd be basically wrenching and working on stuff for a living. I just yeah. thought, oh, this is what I like to do for fun. <laughs> but I'm gonna have to get a job. You know, doing yeah. something else you know because yeah, like sure. in my age group they pushed college real heavily so oh for sure yeah well i keep interrupting you go on with yourself oh no you're good you're good um so basically so i grew up through high school doing all that kind of stuff and just honing my mechanical skills fabrication skills and just learning how to work and fix all that kind of stuff and mm -hmm. You know, at the time, you know, when you're going through the guidance counselors and you're going through all the stuff in high school, and they're kind of figuring you, you're kind of figuring out where you want to end up. Everyone's like, oh, you should be an engineer. You should be an engineer. You've got the mind for it. And like, I love the physics. I love math. I took AP classes. So I took the AP physics, mm -hmm. the calculus, all that kind of stuff. And I didn't mind it. I liked it. And I was, I was pretty good at it. So I was like, you should be an engineer. You should be an engineer. And I was like, okay, that's what I'll do. So I got out of college, or I got out of high school, rather. I didn't get out of college yet. Yeah. But I got out of high school, and I um, uh, I uh, went right to college. I went to uh, Cal Poly Pomona, Pomona, California. You said you went to Cal Poly? And I made some ones. Yeah. Oh, okay, my brother-in-law went there. Yeah, there's two. There's Cal Poly Slow, San Luis Obispo, uh -huh. and then there's Cal Poly Pomona. I did not know that. Is, um, he uh, went to slow, so my bad. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. I know they kind of get kind of weird about it sometimes. I don't mm -hmm. care, but, you know, you know they can get. But um, uh, yeah, I went to Pomona, just right outside the L.A. area. Okay. And I found out during the course of that that it wasn't, wasn't what I wanted to do. I really had a hard time staying focused. I really had a hard time putting all my effort into going to school and like i just it just wasn't what i wanted to do i even growing up i i really struggled with add that's why i had to make an outline so i could remember everything. okay okay <laughs> I, uh, I did and so i struggled with add all through school mm. um i had the um uh, all the different all the different things you know as a kid growing up with a learning disability yeah so <clears throat> that's something that I, I did struggle with. But what's cool about it is, is you know, my, my parents are real supportive mm -hmm. and they um, uh, they helped me out a lot. 
that I realized that, you know, I couldn't use it as an excuse. I just had to develop coping skills to be able to operate on the same level as someone who was, you know, didn't have a learning disability. So it just, it just, a lot of things just take that much more effort. So, so did you, I I take it you didn't finish college or did you? I did not finish. Um, (laughs) I was, I was pretty far in, but I just couldn't take it. I couldn't deal with it. Um, during that time, I, I held a couple of jobs. My, my one of the jobs I held was actually at an off-road shop. Okay. So I was working at an off-road shop. We built, you know, the free runner trucks. We built buggies, like class one, class ten buggies, and that kind of stuff. So I kind of further developed my fabrication. My uh, I did a lot of mechanical design for them using uh, computer program SolidWorks. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot, a lot of program um, that I had learned in engineering school. Mm-hmm. So. I worked there, and then I worked for a company called uh, California Ramp Works, and I was building ramps and skate parks and that kind of stuff for the X Games. No shit. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, if you Google, if you Google X Games seventeen, and you see the super park and the street course, like I did a lot of the welding and fabrication for that. So that's pretty badass. I worked. <laughs> I worked for them for a while. Uh, after the off-road shop, and then I ultimately decided that I can't, I can't do the school anymore, and I need to, I need to figure out something different. Yeah. So, I was like, I'm done with school. I can't take it. Uh, it's it's one of those things, especially like engineering. If you're not passionate about it, and you, it's not what you know you need and what you want to do. It's 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 really hard to kind of push yourself through it. So I yeah, ended up for sure. For sure. And, when I left, it's kind of funny because I started talking to a friend and I ended up getting a job in the aerospace industry <coughs> doing design work for um, uh, <coughs> aerospace manufacturing. It was a company that made tubing assemblies. Huh. Uh, so. So that, wouldn't something like that require an engineering degree? Uh, I mean, technically my job title was an engineer. Okay. So... But what I did was I designed, I designed a tooling, and uh, I did a lot of what they call process improvements. So if there was a process that was taking a long time or was really cumbersome or inefficient, I would design tooling or machinery that would make that process go faster on the manufacturing floor to save time, money, and that kind of thing. God damn, that's cool. Anyways, sorry, go on. Oh no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> So that's cool. That 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 company I worked for at first was actually on how it's made. Oh, really? But then, um, yeah. Were you in there like, throwing throwing up signs and shit? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, uh, the episode was filmed before I started working there. Mm-hmm. But I worked there for a little while. Um, think about aerospace industry is a lot of times it's a lot of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting laid off from there. And then I got a job at another aerospace place, like a week later. Mm-hmm. And I worked there for a while. And then I'm like, I don't like it here either. <laughs> I left there and got a job working at um, a, a faucet company, go figure. So I was doing the same kind of design work, but doing faucets, real high-end faucets. Jesus. And when I when I got laid off the first time from uh, the, the first aerospace place, I was like, I was thinking about going to commercial diving school go figure 
So that was kind of at the back of my mind the whole time. And eventually, after bouncing around, bouncing around all these places, I decided, man, like I should just do it. You know, I should just go for this and do it. So that's what I did. I I got my ducks in a row. I saved up money. I got in good shape. You know, passed because they had a swim test and a dive yeah. physical and all this kind of stuff. So I got everything lined up. And I applied, got accepted, and it was up in Santa Barbara. So I got accepted, and then I ended up giving a notice at the Fawcett Company. I left on real great terms with them. They were all great. Uh-huh. Um, and I moved up to Santa Barbara to start commercial diving school. And, um, uh, yeah. That's kind of a kind of a crazy one eighty. It's like, oh yeah, I went from you know mechanical engineering to I'm gonna go over here and I'm gonna be a deep sea diver. Yeah. So, what was your push to get into that? Like, what did you want to do with that? Um. Well, I didn't really know at the time. I kind of had an idea that you know, uh, you know, commercial diver because everyone thinks, oh, underwater welding. That's like. Mm-hmm. A very 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 small niche in the whole industry of commercial diving so i just knew that they uh they did you know heavy work underwater and i grew up i grew up swimming and i i did a lot of diving and spear fishing mm-hmm. fun i was always at the ocean so i was like yeah this could work yeah no, so no thank you i'm i'm good off diving and <laughs> scares the shit out of me <laughs> but uh yeah it's just it's just something I was comfortable with, so I was like, let's go for it. So sure, yeah, definitely. So where'd you go from? Uh, well, what happened with that? I should ask with diving. Well, I uh, so I went to dive school, and that was that was pretty awesome. Being able to live in Santa Barbara mm-hmm. and go to school that was pretty pretty ridiculous. <laughs> but while I was there, I worked at a mountain bike shop just you know to get extra money while I was in school, and then they. Uh, this company, uh, Aquius, they they did a thing where they would hire on some of the dudes that were in school, uh-huh. and they'd work in the shop down at the dive facility while they were finishing school. So I ended up getting hired on with them. So at the time, I was working at the bike shop, this dive company, and I was going to school. And... Once I finished school, I was still working at the bike shop in the dive company. And then the dive company wanted me to come down to Louisiana, hire on full time and go to work offshore for them. So I was like, all right, I'm doing it. So I gave a <laughs> notice at the bike shop. And at the time I was, uh, Santa Barbara was ridiculously expensive. So I was oh, yeah. renting a little section of a house. So I had like a room and bathroom and a little hallway. And that was like my part of the house. Uh-huh. But, um, uh, I packed up everything that I owned and I got rid of a bunch of stuff and I packed up everything I owned into my Toyota Tacoma and I drove down to my parents' house and my dad helped me drive out to Louisiana and then he flew back to California mm-hmm. and I found a place to live with one of the other guys I was in school with who had already gone down there before me. He was living in a house that had an extra room, so I'm like, hey, let me get in that. <laughs> and, yeah, I just hopped in the car. We drove down, and I was in Louisiana now. So Man, I went to work for that company for a while. Just so crazy. 
what you do now versus what you're explaining is just insane. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's kind of all, it kind of all does intertwine because, um, uh, yeah, the one thing about commercial diving is, is it's, it's so much more than just diving. Mm-hmm. So like, basically what, what we did with commercial diving was is that, out there, we supported the uh, off- offshore oil field operations. Okay. So, so basically, diving is just a way to get to the job. Sure. You um, uh, whatever you're there to do is what you're there to do. So, mm-hmm. if we were doing like a hot tap on a pipeline, the job was the hot tap. It just so happens the pipelines in the ocean. We have to get to the pipeline in the ocean and do the hot tap. Or if we're doing well work, or if we're doing plug and abandonment, or construction, or platform removal. So as a diver, the diving was how you got there, but you kind of had to put on a lot of different hats to be able to do the job that you were there to do. But so like, but like a dive operation is like offshore is very, very equipment intensive. So we had, we had our, our dive compressors. We had, um, the hydraulic pressure units, which powered our tools. Mm-hmm. We had a rotoscript compressors, which powered all the deck gear, like air tuggers. We had cranes. We had jet pumps. We had all. We had a ton of machinery, electric, hydraulic, um, diesel powered. Damn. And when you're a diver, you start off as a tender. Okay. So you're basically you do everything. So you maintain the equipment. You set up the dive spread. You break down the dive spread. You do all the rigging, the crane ops, you, you maintain the equipment and the machinery, you fix stuff. I, uh, I certified for welding when I was working at that company. So I did welding hmm. and you dive also. So, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, uh, you wear, uh, what's that? I just, you, you wear a lot of different hats and sure. you do a lot of different jobs to keep the operation going. Sure. For sure. So where uh, where'd you go from, from this? Well, uh, at the time, eventually my, uh, now fiance, she moved in with me down there and I worked in that industry for a while, but the problem is, is it was ups and downs and it was Mm -hmm. a lot of slow periods where you didn't work and, um, it didn't pay as good as you would think it would pay. Okay. So if anyone's thinking about getting into commercial diving, that, that could be a whole nother, that could be a whole nother podcast in itself, but it's not the, Oh, you're going to get out of school and be making, you know, six figures. It's not, at least in the Gulf of Mexico, that's not, that's not how, how it is. I mean, you can make, I made okay money, but it's not the, Oh, you'll get rich and you know, you're going to make a hundred dollars an hour. <laughs> it's it's a job just like any else. The, the the industry is very very saturated with dive schools pumping out you know, you know fresh you know eager tenders ready to, you know bust their ass for no money. So that's kind of the reality of that industry, and that's kind of what led me to eventually uh, leave the industry. Uh-huh. So I mean, I was living in Louisiana. It was me and Hannah. We were uh, we were living together. Um, we still are, but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so eventually, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. No, no, I was just saying, so, so how would, cause you live in, you live in Texas now. How did you end up over here in, in the oil fields? 
Uh, well, um, I, uh, I guess I was just already kind of conditioned to work it in the oil field since I had been working offshore in the oil field. Yeah. And, um, I was looking to get out. And so I was like, I can't do the diving anymore. I heard it was popping in West Texas because this was about 2017. Yeah. That yep. first boat come through. Yeah. And so I started applying for jobs, just, just absolutely going for just, I got to, you know, I got to, I got to get out of the, the diving. It's too inconsistent. I was working side jobs, straight up digging holes with the shovel or remodeling flood houses and all that kind of stuff because you can get a call and go offshore for a couple months and they won't call you for a couple months. So. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. So I was like, I got to get out. So I was applying to a bunch of different jobs and then I, um, uh, I never got a call back. I didn't know why, but then I hit up my buddy and my buddy, interestingly enough, I had, um, uh, I had known him from building hot rods and race cars back in California. And I realized he worked in Texas and he, he, he was like, I was like, what do you, it's like, yeah, I work on natural gas compressors. And I was like, natural gas compressors. Like I figured there had to be something to make the actual, you know, gas get to where it needs to go. <laughs> but I wasn't really familiar with the, um, uh, with, uh, with the industry and the type of machinery. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, I, um, he sent me a bunch of pictures of the stuff he was working on. And I recognized one of the engines, the Caterpillar 3600 engine, mm -hmm. because our big four point boat that I worked on offshore had two diesel versions okay. as its engines. So I was like, Oh, I know those. I've worked on those a little bit. I've basically been a gopher helping the engineers, you know, on the boat get all their stuff when we had to do like a head in the turbo so uh -huh. i was like okay i could i mean i've been wrenching for a long time i could probably figure this out so he gives me a number of a guy who um uh i called up and i talked to him for a while turns out you know me and him uh he used to race dirt bikes too and we've actually gone to some of the same races before before he even knew who you know <laughs> knew who we were so we've been to some of the same uh, like National Hare and Hound dirt bike races before. So we kind of mm -hmm. hit it off, and he decided to give me a uh, give me a chance. And so I drove out to West Texas, interviewed, and drove back. And then he gives me a call, and I get an offer out there. And so I said, "Yeah, let's do it." And so he hired me on to work on natural gas compressors and engines and all that kind of stuff. And that was for a, a service company, mm -hmm. a service company and a packager because the industry is kind of interesting. There's not really dealers. Mm -hmm. There's packagers and there's contract compression. There's third party and it's a whole, almost kind of a whole mess. Yeah. But so, yeah, I started doing the uh, 14 on 14 off uh, schedule out in West Texas. And for me, that was great because when I was at the dive company, mm -hmm. I had no schedule. You were kind of on call all the time, and it was really hard to have a life. Yeah, so, no shit. Um, <clears throat> having a fourteen on fourteen off schedule, knowing where I'm, when I'm going to work, when I'm coming home, knowing that I'm going to work and make money, yeah, and pay bills. <laughs> <laughs> it was a whole different. It was a whole different environment. So I, I really enjoyed. Hmm. Really yeah. enjoy the work. So that that's how I ended up out in West Texas. And you currently live in the California of Texas, right? 
Uh, yeah, I live just north of Austin. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I get shit. No, for, no, you're good. I get shit for being from California, so I'm gonna give you shit too. But uh, yeah, yeah, I get, I get it. I get some some of it today. <laughs> so, uh, how long did you work for that company? I worked for that company for three years and some change. Mm-hmm. So, I kind of got. The guy, Bryant, he kind of threw me into the fire and he was like, I know you can figure this out. I know you can do this. Go for it. So I kind of, especially during the boom, mm-hmm. we squeezed a lot, a lot of learning, a lot of hours and a lot of different work into that period of time, like a lot. So yeah. it was like a, and then I, I actually called up three dudes from the dive company and they came to work for that same service company out in West Texas also. So okay. It was kind of cool working for those those uh, those three dudes because I had worked with them offshore, lived offshore with them mm-hmm. for a while. So mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I want like I want to be working with these guys. So Bryant hired them on, and we built. Uh, we were a crew called Aftermarket Service, so we were basically third party. Uh-oh. So companies would pay us to come and work on the equipment that they own, working on customer owned equipment. Uh huh. I got you. Um- you cut out. What? 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 What did you? What, what company was that? Uh, our our like our crew. Uh-huh. We were we were at AMS or aftermarket service. Okay. 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 I so we work on customer owned equipment. Mm-hmm. Um. So, well, I'll let you explain exactly what you do when you get into what you do now. Um. So you worked for this company, and then you fired off your own company, correct? Yeah, yeah. A bunch of stuff happened with that company. I mean, you know how the typical large company corporate drama goes. I mean that that could be a that would be a lengthy story. Mm-hmm. But Bryant no longer worked at CSI, and all of us ended up leaving. And our crew was about thirteen guys at the height of it. That's and right. We were I remember. making money hand over fist. Mm-hmm. I think Bryant, Bryant was invoicing like in the seven figure ranges every month. Fuck. Oh, fuck. Jesus. And um, uh, between 13 of us, between the units moving, all the services, all the commissioning, we were, we were getting it straight up. And then of course all that kind of stuff happened. And then the group kind of dissolved. And I think only one guy out of that original 13 still remains there. Mm-hmm. But at the time, uh, uh, Bryant, his dad had a has a compression company, and so we all kind of jumped ship and ended up going over there. Okay, I started my own LLC. Mm-hmm. Started contracting as a uh, a contract hand for his dad's company. Oh, so okay, I still do the fourteen on fourteen off, but I am a I'm a contractor with that different company. Makes sense. So it was kind of a good transition too because I had I had fourteen days of guaranteed work. Yeah. I could work under their uh MSAs or master service agreements, which a lot of these oil field companies have. Could work under their Sorry, um, I uh, sneezed. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're I good. saw you like I what could work the under fuck? Their, um, uh, yeah, I saw you getting ready to go for it, but it was all quiet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but that was kind of a 
sorry. This, I, this is the hardest part about doing this over the phone or via FaceTime like we're doing. Like it, the timing's off just a hair. So when you talk, just, I talk. Yeah, just yeah. a second. Uh, but go on with what, what you were saying. Sorry. Oh, no, you're good. Um, it just made it like an easy transition because I'm, uh, I know that if you're going like independent right away, you're going to have so many expenses up front. Oh, yeah. You're going to have a lot to um, uh, deal with customers. And, like, the one thing about, like, the oil field, especially since after accidents like Deepwater Horizon, is the safety and the uh, MSA and all that kind of stuff is really heavy here. Mm-hmm. Like, depending on the customer, the general liability insurance that you have to carry and umbrella insurance could be huge some yeah. customers want 10 million dollars fuck that of general liability so like a lot of times companies will work together like a lot of uh companies do like smaller contractors mm-hmm. so they'll have you basically sub under a bigger one that has the the msa and the insurance policies and that kind of stuff i got you to get you in i got you okay um how long have you been doing that now uh, I started my company in, I formed everything in July of 2020. Mm-hmm. And then I actually started working uh, for the company I contract with now for my 14 days. I started in um, uh, October of 2020. Okay. So it's been a, getting close to about a year and a half right now. Yeah. You, uh, uh, yeah, that's, so I really... I really want to dive in. So one of your topics is general discussion about the type of work that you do. Um, what exactly is it that you do? <laughs> Cause I know nothing about this shit. So, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've probably seen them out in West Texas when you're driving those big machines with the huge radiators, oh, those yeah. big cooling fans, are... spin, they'll be like five or six of them in a row. Yeah. There's a bunch here uh, where I live. Are... Oh, yeah, yeah, you're in the Barnett area, so you're in the Barnett show. Um, Those are gas compressors, so they compress natural gas. Some of them are engine-driven, some of them are electrical-driven, but depending on where they're at, they they all form a different – some of them – they all have, like, a different role. So some of them are actually going to be gathering gas from all these oil wells, compressing it, and then pushing it to a gas plant for treatment. Some of them are going to be along pipelines – boosting the pressure, transmitting a huge amount of gas from one region to another. Mm-hmm. And then you have some that are like artificial gas lifts. So instead of like a pump jack yeah. pumping oil out of the ground, these they're like usually smaller, but they're compressors that will push natural gas into the ground, which will make the oil um, uh, come up out of the well and into tank batteries and then pump to the pipeline to go wherever it needs to go. So... The compressors will play different roles, but they're basically just compressors. They they compress the natural gas and take they increase the pressure, and then they push the gas from one point to another. I got you. Okay. Yeah, I always wondered what the hell that shit was for, but uh, yeah. So yeah, that's. Oh, what kind of? So are you just doing diagnostics and repair? Or are you like maintaining these things or? Yeah, I do. Um, uh, we we do pretty much everything. So we do diagnostics, we do repairs, we maintain them. We do scheduled overhauls, uh, scheduled maintenance, uh, preventative maintenance. Mm-hmm. We do set and commissioning. So we 
kind of cover the whole range of uh, service work that occurs on these machines. And you do anything big, big to small, or? Yeah, yeah, we 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 do um uh, we do a pretty big size range. So like, uh, the other day we did an engine swing on a, a CG one thirty seven, which is basically a Caterpillar thirty four hundred engine. Okay. Hmm. So it's a Caterpillar thirty four twelve. Damn. So that's on the smaller side for us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then we have like 3300s, 3306s. There's some smaller Cummins, like Cummins KTA 19, like a 19 liter. We do work on those. And there's 3300s. And so that's the smaller side. So like a smaller gas compressor is going to be about the size of a semi-truck engine. For mm-hmm. Us. Mm-hmm. I got you. And then the big boys... Uh, I mean, I consider like a 3516, like a medium-sized compressor, and uh, that's 69 liters, so that's Jesus pretty big Christ. displacement. It's 16 cylinders, weighs about 16,000 pounds for the engine. God damn it. Every so often, yeah, freeze and it cuts out, but I think we're I think we're okay. But uh, All right. You got me now? Yeah, yeah, we're good. Um, oh, cool. So what kind of stuff do you want to talk about? You know, cause this is a, a kind of a different thing. I don't know if there's any special stuff that you want to explain, you know, or talk, talk about your job. I'm here to just bullshit with you. Um, I've got questions, oh, yeah. but I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about in this industry as far as oil uh, field. I mean, I mean, I mean, the, the oil field jobs I've, I've held have been obviously the offshore commercial diving and now the uh, the natural gas compressor stuff. But, I mean, it kind of branches off into, into different machinery. We'll work on pumps and cooling fans mm-hmm. and basically all the machinery that supports one of these is running because, I mean, there's multiple pumps on this thing to pump oil, to pump coolant, to pump fluids. There's scrubbers and vessels to evacuate the fluids that drop out of the gas. Um, there's cooling fans for your oil for your gas because the gas has to go through a cooler mm-hmm. after every stage of compression so and then uh, some stuff is electrically electrically driven some stuff is engine driven so and then there's the the plc's programmable logic computers uh-huh. and all the uh, all the different controls and electronics that control these machines hmm. so <clears throat> we kind of run the whole well and i'm gamut. sure it, I'm, I'm sure there's like a, a fail-safe deal on these machines too isn't there or in case of emergency. Oh, uh, yeah. So basically, uh, on like an engine-driven unit, you would have the, the engine's uh, computer mm-hmm. and whatever controls the engine. So if it's a Caterpillar, like 3600, you actually have a bunch of modules. You have your product link. You have your ignition system control module. You have your main ECM, and then you have your, uh, your operator control panel. And then you have another computer system that controls the compressor and they have to talk to each other and they have to be nice to each other. Yeah. But if one or the other says, shut me down, the unit goes down. Now, do you work on that stuff as well or? Yeah. Yeah. Some people, I mean, people will work on what their strengths are. I end up doing a lot of electrical and a lot of controls work on these. Yeah. That's my favorite is electrical. So it sounds like a, I I might need to come work with you. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, no oil. I mean, in this industry. Sorry, you go. I was just saying, no oil field for me no more. I'm over it. Yeah, I I definitely understand. 
yeah, I understand that part of it. It's definitely takes a, it can take a lot out of you sometimes, but, um, yeah, if you're good with electrical in this industry, you're pretty valuable because I mean, just as time goes on, everything is, they're getting more and more condition monitoring, more and more sensors, more and more automation. So, I mean, if you can troubleshoot and repair a lot of electrical issues on these machines, uh-huh. you're uh-huh. always, you're pretty much always busy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, uh, I think you and I, I, you didn't put this in your questionnaire that, but you know, everybody wants to talk tools. Are you okay with talking tools? Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay with talking tools. It's just one of those subjects that you can go down the road and that's all you'll talk about. It's a fucking so, rabbit hole for sure. Be careful. It is. It really is. Um, like, so you have a YouTube video, which you're killing me on. You need to fucking go and do more. <laughs> I know. I'll, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. <laughs> you do a, a lot. Of, you have great, like, your your stuff on your videos is great. Like, you go through all your tools and stuff. But um, tools, man. Let's talk tools real fast, and then we'll get that out of the way. But um, specialty tools, uh anything like that what's your favorite type of tooling tooling to get into the game you know let's talk about it all um so that's kind of a as far as specialty tools go that can get really hairy really fast in this industry Mm -hmm. because um just a lot of especially a lot of the larger machinery i mean the caterpillar 3600s Mm -hmm. you need specialty tools just to take off a cylinder head yeah so it's actually hydraulic rams that stretch the cylinder head or the cylinder studs and you loosen the nuts and then they have a, the newer versions have one for the rods also oh, shit. but yeah there's a lot of specialty tools we use alignment lasers to align the couplings that couple the motors and the compressors mm-hmm. or the engine and the compressors on the really big units we have a laser that measures the flatness of the crank case to the compressor because it has to be you know, within a certain plane so that none of the main bearings are out of plane with each other. So hmm. we do use a lot of specialty laser tooling. It's pretty hideously expensive. And then the, <laughs> uh, the bigger stuff, like some of the bigger compressors, Damn it. like on. you need a high torque. Yeah. There's no way on God's green earth that you're going to get some of this stuff. I mean, stuff's torquing to 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 foot pounds, depending on what it is. So you do need a high torque for that. But mm-hmm. as far as like a person just, if you're just wrenching on a compressor and fixing stuff, you can, you can get by with a pretty basic loadout of tools. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times customers will have their specialty tooling that you can use. A lot of customers own their own tooling you know, for when they purchased all this machinery. Yeah, I got you. Um, yeah, because I, I, and you're, <laughs> you're one, you're, you're part of the cult as well as far as uh, Milwaukee. Yo, you got, the, <laughs> you, got the, you got the Milwaukee, bro. That's a cult, I got man. A lot. It is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one of those. It's like, I mean, I like the tools they make. They make they make a solid tool. Um, they are geared pretty heavily towards the mechanical work, which I do like. Mm-hmm. 
but I mean, people will get into like these arguments and they'll say, oh, you know, they'll, they'll just get all, they'll get all crazy about it. And, you know, they'll, I don't know. I've seen, you know, DeWalt tools work good or great. Um, Makita, I mean, just, I mean, the worst tool is one you don't have. So if you can't afford <laughs> to get all of this red tools, yeah. you know, and you get something else, it's great. You know, you got a tool that'll, you know, do work for you and make you money. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I do that a lot in Milwaukee, but that's just what I started off with. And so I just kind of kept true to it as far as like corded tools go mm-hmm. and pneumatic tools. I got every brand out there. <laughs> yeah. It's all over the place. I've got cheap stuff. I've got expensive stuff. You know, it's. Yeah. I, I just sometimes I don't understand. You know, I understand people want to talk tools and stuff, but I just, you know, when they give suggestions, it's what's your favorite tool or uh, the special tool that helped you in this job or, you know, whatever. It, it's not like they're not narrowing it down to exactly what they want to talk yeah. about or want to know. So I don't really know where to go with it. What? So Yeah, it's such a big topic. I mean, you could have a tool podcast of just tools. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is one. But, um, yeah. And, I will say. Oh, sorry, you go. No, I was just saying uh, – if anybody wants to check out these videos I'm talking about on YouTube, uh, Blackfoot Mechanical, right? Is that all it is on YouTube? Yes. Yeah, it's Blackfoot Mechanical. It's my YouTube channel. I need to make more videos, man. I've been slacking. <laughs> I, I, I love your truck tour. I, I love your truck. And, uh, don't, don't it's talk totally about... different now. I think you're seeing pictures. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I don't want to talk about your other truck yet because we're that's a topic that I want to discuss as far as licensing. So, yeah. Um, but anyways, what did you have anything else on that? Um, it's funny. Like I have a lot of different tools. I have my garage is overflowing right now. Uh-huh. Um, this truck is overflowing. <laughs> it's a poor little one ton. But um, uh, I would say like out of all the tools I've bought, all the tools I've used, um, you know, all these like auto mechanics talk about their ten millimeter. You know, mm-hmm. um, for us it's a nine sixteenths. Oh shit! Okay, it's that nine sixteenths, and I bought a like an eight dollar gear wrench, long pattern nine sixteenths boxing wrench, uh-huh. and that is by far one of my favorite tools. That eight dollar wrench, I love it. Yeah, I've got a lot of cheap, cheap tools box. too. But uh... yeah, but yeah, I mean, my, my if you look at my toolbox, you'll find Harbor Freight sitting next to Snap On. Hell yeah! You'll find you know, you know Milwaukee. But then you'll see a, a Bauer heat gun, you know. You'll see, uh, you'll see um, just just anything and everything. Yeah. So it's a pretty, pretty wide variety. For sure. Uh, so mounting off of what I just said, um, you just purchased a big truck. Yes. Um, it requires a CDL. <laughs> <laughs> yes it and, does it this, sure does i feel so bad for it's you a, and of course you know you get it in the time that all the laws are changing for getting your cdl and let's let's dive into that a little bit what have you found out about this well yeah i bought the truck it got delivered to my house december just before christmas and why well, didn't do anything over christmas and then um started getting it ready you know it was kind of a hazardous purchase so i was going through it working on it get everything dialed in and i was like all right i gotta take my learner's permit and get the license so i can drive it around you know and uh i uh 
I was looking up and they're like, and it was literally like the day before the laws changed where everything went into effect. But now any person trying to get a new commercial driver's license or upgrade their existing one needs to do what's called entry-level driver training. And that was basically the uh, FMCSA, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, they wanted to kind of standardize the training across the board. So now all the trucking schools had to get have uh, a base curriculum they have to teach, and they have to actually get certified with the FMCSA so they can actually provide the training. So. It's just it's, they're basically standardized the training countrywide fucking blows my mind man we're short truckers or it's hard to find truckers and they're gonna make <laughs> yeah. it harder it just fucking blows my mind but yeah that was kind of like we're sitting here having this trucking shortage and then that happens but i mean it was the law the laws actually that law got passed a long time ago yeah but it just now came into effect at like the worst time ever so yeah. I can't before I was gonna take my skills or my permit test, then go take my road test, get my CDL, be good to go. Yeah. Now I gotta go to a school. <laughs> I did find a school that'll do it in a really good timeline, so I'm pretty pretty stoked about that. And it's not too expensive, is it? It's kinda of price. It's not like it's not like the end of the world, but it's like, dang, I really wasn't trying to spend that much money right now because I have other things I need to spend the money on. What you mean? You got that but, oil-filled money, dog? Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, like, yeah, it was, um, uh, I can do the, because there's, like, a theory portion of it, and then there's, like, a behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the theory portion I can do online, so I'm just going to do it while I'm out here in the Thunderdome. Oh, yeah. And then it's, uh, it's only 16 hours of behind the wheel for this particular school. So it's uh, eight days, two hours. So, I don't and know. I was like, I mean, it's, it's three grand. So it's a big, kind of just a big chunk of money to fork over, but yeah, I got to sure. do it. I'll have a class A once I'm done. So What's it'll it? be worth it in the end, but it's just, just another, another roadblock. Yeah. What, uh, so, I guess we'll tell everybody what you got. Um, what is it? I don't. I can't remember. I know it's a big old uh, it's a, buffalo. It's a Freightliner M2. Mm-hmm. And it's a Freightliner M2. It's kind of a unique truck. It used to belong to a power company, and so it's kind of on the. It's on the same chassis that you see those Digger Derricks and bucket trucks. Mm-hmm. Powerline company is right, so it's a it's a Freightliner M2 chassis, but it's four wheel drive. So, finding a a, a heavy duty four wheel drive truck is kind of like finding a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I know at the the deer dealership I worked at here in Fort Worth, they accidentally ordered one four wheel drive Kenworth, and it was it didn't do shit. He still got stuck on top of slick mud and everything. It was it was pretty funny. So. Yeah, the big thing about that is, is on with the four wheel drive, like if you're on like eleven eleven R twenty two five, it's not it's not really going to do that yeah. well. You got to have floats in the front at least. Oh yeah, for sure. Or else you're not doing much. <laughs> yep. Um, let's talk about traveling. Traveling oh. for work and being away from home. You've been doing it a long that- time. That's probably the hardest part of the job, to be honest with you. Yeah. 
the long hours are one thing. The work is one thing. Um, all that's, you know, that's whatever. It's, it, it's sometimes it's hard, but you know, it's fairly easy to deal with compared to the traveling. So like yeah. when I worked offshore, that was absolutely horrible because, um, I didn't know how long I was going to be gone. I didn't, um, uh, know if I was going to have Wi-Fi or service or anything to communicate back and forth yeah. with, uh, my girlfriend at the time. She's my fiance now. Um, and just sometimes, a lot of times you get a text message, Hey, we're moving out at, you know, be at the shop at 2 AM. And so you'd be at the shop at 2 AM. You'd load all your gear into a, a trail, a trailer on a crew van and you take a crew van out to the dock and then you take a crew boat out to the lift boat or the platform or, or you'd ride the work boat out depending on how the job was set up. But that was, that was, that could be pretty rough. Like I had all my gear. So I had my bag full of dive gear, my bailout bottle, dive hat. Um, basically I have like six pieces of gear, tool bag, your personal bag, your backpack. And I, I kept a, uh, a little sleeping bag and a pillow on my backpack at all times. Cause I never knew if I was going to be sleeping on the ground, you know, at the dock, <laughs> sleeping on the back of a boat, yeah. sleeping on the floor of a boat or wherever. So that was kind of traveling. So hmm. this right now, it's not as bad because I'm driving my own truck. Yeah. I have my own stuff. You know, I can talk on the phone. Um, <laughs> you know, just, just stuff that you kind of just like, Oh, whatever, you know, like I didn't have that option. So now it's like, but it, it does, it does get hard. And, um, uh, you know, she stuck with me through all the offshore stuff. So this, this is a bit easier, but there, there are still hard days. I'd say that's the most difficult part of the job is the, uh, the traveling, being away from home. And it's something that I can do for a while, but I don't plan on, you know, traveling like this forever. Yeah. That's just something I don't want to do. For sure. Um, forever. So working out there in West Texas now, are you kind of all over or do you work in one like kind of area? Um, I'm, we're kind of all over. I mean, we cover a pretty big area. We cover a lot of customers, mm-hmm. but we kind of have two main areas of operation. One of them is down there. I stay at a man camp in Monahans, Texas, right on I-20. And I work for a customer down there. And then uh, sometimes I'll stay up here in Carlsbad and we'll work for customers all over. But I mean, sometimes we could drive 20 miles to location, other times 100. Yeah, three hours to one location. I remember those days, man, staying in Odessa and going all the way out to New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, we try to coordinate it so that so people aren't driving. And if if, like if I were to go on a job in Midland, and I'd probably get a man camp down there in Midland. They'd put me in one down there. And I'd stay down there for that duration of the job. Mm-hmm. So, and how you're kind of like out of your truck, basically. For sure. Yeah. And how long of a drive is it for you between home and there? Uh, when I'm staying down, like in Monahans, it's about five and a half hours. Yeah. I've done my stint uh, in Monahans, man. Don't eat dairy. Yeah, I always... Don't eat at the Dairy Don't... Queen there Dairy Queen Dairy Queen can be dangerous <laughs> yeah Monahans was terrible man 
Uh, but yeah, I always see a couple of them. Uh, Oops, name drop. Trucks parked at the hotel right there off I twenty. So no name dropping. Damn it. Yep. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, so let's talk about uh, culture differences that you experienced when moving from California to Louisiana to Texas and. And moving all over the place. Yeah. Let's talk um, about that. Man. I guess, uh, yeah, moving from, uh, and it, was, it was Santa Barbara too, so that, Santa Barbara's kind of a ridiculous, you know, super wealthy area. Um, and then moving to Louisiana, and everything was just different. Like, like I will say, like, trends and fads that occurred out in, you know, areas like California mm-hmm. are still around 10 years later, like, when I got down there, stuff was that was in style, or stuff that people were doing was like, oh yeah, that happened. Like we did that, you know, a decade ago. <laughs> it was kind of like a little bit like jump back in time, but like mm-hmm. just everything was different. The terrain was different. There's all these bayous, lakes, rivers, and streams. Um, meeting like Cajun people and people from South Louisiana. Like a lot of them, it took me a very long time to figure out how they what they were saying <laughs> like man that is <laughs> that 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 definitely was uh was just was just a big culture shock for sure i mean i i i, I expected it and i was told about it but experiencing it is a whole different you know deal than hearing about it but you were uh, it's a very unique place you were trying not to stereotype is what you were doing you're like no no no, but it was well, like... <laughs> I, I was like, all right, let, let, let's go see. You know, I've, I've, you know, I've been to New Orleans, you know, multiple times beforehand. Okay, while I was traveling, but <laughs> South Louisiana <laughs> is, is 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 a whole different world from everywhere else. And like, at first, I was like, I don't know about this, but after a while, I'm like, all right. And now that I'm gone, I'm like, I do go, I do want to go back and visit. There's some stuff I do miss about that place, and so. Yeah. Eventually, I'm probably gonna once I get some time go back and visit. I've been through Louisiana on my way to Florida, but that was it. it didn't really stop or nothing. Yeah, uh, one of these days. Yeah. Uh, so you had a couple questions that you would uh, like to ask, but I, I think we can make this kind of about both of us or you. I can ask them to you. Um, uh, how about? I want to ask your thoughts on training and schooling, you know, versus apprenticeships. Um, I would say that that's all up to the person. Yeah. Some people are built and wired to go through school and some people aren't. So, if you're not built and wired to go through school, you shouldn't try to fit a square peg into a round hole <laughs> and force yourself to do it if that's not what's going to make you most successful. Mm-hmm. If being more hands-on and doing an apprenticeship is what you want to do and that's what will make you most successful, go for it. If school is what you want to do and what will make you more successful, go for it. But I think that a good combination of both is very powerful. Yeah, for sure. Um, I do, and I don't regret going to school, even though I quit because mm-hmm. of 
everything I did learn in school, I can apply, you know, to my life and my work. So I do really appreciate going and I appreciate what I've learned, but it's, you know, it's not for everyone. So I do, I do understand that. So, and there is no substitute for hands-on experience. Um, Depending on the school, some schools were pretty good at, you know, the school I went to was really good about providing engineers with hands-on experience so they could understand, you know, more about the manufacturing process, more about actual implementation of technology. So they weren't, you know, you didn't end up with an engineer who couldn't turn a screwdriver. So <laughs> that, school was, <laughs> that school was really good in that regard, you know, yeah. teaching that. So yeah. I would say there is no right or wrong answer it all depends on the person and what's what's going to work best for them for sure yeah i mean because i get i get questions from guys all the time you know where to start or younger guys um where to start what what i recommend or (laughs) so i like to get everybody's opinion you know that i talk to because my 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 opinion might not always be right for that person so yeah and like I will say, like, which direction you go kind of also depends on the amount of knowledge you already have. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you grow up turning wrenches, then you you know I know how to, you know, get tools and I know how to take some apart and know how to put some back together. Yeah. So, like, I have the hands-on experience, but I may not know how this engine works, why it works, how this hydraulic system works, you know, why. But I can take this hydraulic, you know, I can take, you know, Part that spool valve, I can you know break this down. I can you know pull the head off this engine. Yeah. But I need to know why it works, how it works. You know, especially when it comes to troubleshooting. So, which direction you go kind of is dependent on what amount of knowledge you already have. Yeah, and I mean, you never know. It's it's tough to explain. Like I started off in automotive. I thought I was going to be in automotive for the rest of my life, and. I fell yeah. in, fell into working for John Deere and I I could never go I, unless I absolutely had to I, I could never go back to automotive I picked up on this shit so much faster yeah. you know um and that that kind of leads me into the next topic uh like thoughts on doing a similar job uh in a different field or niche as you put it um <laughs> I'm very much open to that I mean like. I, I do like working oil and gas, but like oil and gas kind of pigeonholes you uh, geography wise. Yeah. The work is where the formations are. So, I mean, you have your West Texas, you have your Barnett, you have South Texas. So you're kind of stuck to where you can work. And I do eventually, I do want to go into other industries that have the same type of machinery as far as motor and Indian German equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, just all kind of any, anything basically installed mechanical and industrial machinery what a, is uh, it's all over and so it, that's it, something i am very interested in is, is this like what you do now is are you pretty happy with it right now or do you want to do something else um to be honest i love doing this i and every, every job has its ups and downs i mean we have your days where you get you know for lack of a better term, you get long dicked, you know, and you have, 
the day that <laughs> the day that's just rough on you. I mean, I had one of those today. I was all over the place today, and I ended up having to run back to the shop and hop in a big truck and take it to a location, and it was just it was just a mess. So I mean, like even those days, I like it because it's you know it's something that keeps my mind engaged. It's adventurous. It's challenging. It's you know, it's it keeps it keeps things fresh for me. I mean, if everything went perfectly and everything went routine, I think I'd get bored. Yeah, no, so, that's that's how I feel right now. Routine. I do complacency. I do love. I do love the fact that you can get hit with a curveball out of nowhere. You know, something could happen, and you could be. You know, your plans could be changing up two, three, four times a day. Um, that to me keeps it fresh and keeps it exciting. Sometimes it can be a drag. But um, uh, I really do enjoy the work. I think I nerd out about it more than <laughs> most guys that I work around do. So that's okay. I get excited about. I get excited about you know coming up on a you know a compressor a machine I haven't seen before. Um, something I'll be taking pictures of it and you know everyone, everyone's like why are you doing that? I'm like I like this dude. Like if I didn't like this, I'd have to find something else because I can't do it. Like. That's the one thing about having ADD is, is <laughs> if you if you figure something out, it is almost painful to try and focus on it. Yeah. Like growing up through school, if I figured out a math problem, I didn't want to do ten more. It's like I figured it out. Like I, I, I it's 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 so difficult to keep keep interest in stuff. So the fact that I'm interesting that I'm interested in this, that I'm learning new stuff. There's you know, new machinery, they're always updating and upgrading the machinery. So you, you're going to see new things constantly throughout mm -hmm. your career. That's what keeps me engaged. So that's one thing I do love about this industry. So, well, and you get to see, probably, some, you get to see, see something new every day, pretty much too. And I think that helps you. Yeah. Yeah. Just seeing something new or being at a different location, you know, I could be, you know, way over here or, you know, up there, or mm -hmm. just even just going to a different location and working in a different scenery just helps me stay, you know, engaged and excited about what I'm doing. Yeah, for sure. That's why I think I, uh, sorry. No, I was just saying for sure. That's a, I, I completely understand where you're coming from on that. That's why I like the field, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I hate working like, in the shop and being stuck in one location, man. It, it drives me nuts. Yeah. Well, like even today, I think this last week I've been to two or three locations I've never been before. Mm -hmm. So like the locations are stationary. So like they'll put a location in and there has been one and they'll work on it. So like I've gotten where, you know, the, uh, the owner of the company be like, Hey, we got a job here. You're going to do an engine swing. So crane engine, all this will be on location. Here's the engine. Here's the pin. Be there at eight 30. <laughs> and so, you load up your truck and you go there at 30 and meet the contact, whoever's there, and start doing your work. Um, so I do like that, you know, just like you get sent to pin and you're like, roll out, go, <laughs> go make it happen. Yeah. Just... So actually, let me ask you this, uh, being out there in the middle of nowhere, basically, are you ever by yourself or do you always have somebody with you? Uh, sometimes, sometimes you can be by yourself and 
um, there are certain risks that, you know, obviously come with working by yourself. Uh-huh. And so a lot of times you'll always let, you know, whoever's running the show know where you're at. And then you check in with them and then they'll check in with you. So, and yeah. we, we all know each other and we all look out for each other. I mean, like just yesterday, one of the guys was oh. normally in by now. We, 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 um, uh, he wasn't in. So we called him like, Hey, you good? You need any help? Are you okay? Like what's going on? Mm-hmm. And he was fine. They were just fighting a bunch of units out there, but I got you because of the risks and, um, uh, the nature of the job everyone looks out for each other and you also gotta look out for yourself so you don't have because some areas you don't have reception you, you don't have no panic device or like a garmin or anything do you uh i have an asset tracker in okay. my truck uh-huh. it's hidden all up in the truck but that's um uh that'll track you um, we get a, I got a signal booster, so that helps with the reception. Somewhere. If it's an emergency, uh, if it's 911, your cell phone works, even when you don't have reception, which is nice. Oh, okay. I see. I didn't know that. Yeah. There's a bunch of frequencies that cell phones don't use unless you call 911. Huh. I fucking just learned so, something new. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So like if you have a, a, um, uh. If you do call nine one one and you don't have service, you almost all the time you will get through. God damn. Okay. That. Uh, but. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that, man. That's that's pretty. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah I, I forget how I learned it, but. So. Being a self-employed man. Uh, yep. What do you? Where do you see your company going? Uh, do you plan on growing it, staying working for yourself, selling it in 10 years, or what do you think? Uh, I do plan on growing. Right now I got some stuff in the works to uh, expand a little bit, mm-hmm. but I don't want to, like, balloon. I wanna, I'm want to. i trying to do it real calculated. So I do plan on expanding, getting more trucks, hopefully getting some guys to work in those trucks. So. Cool. All that's kind of in the works right now, but I just have to basically say, here are my goals and tasks at hand right now. We'll do these. Once these are completed, here's the next steps. So eventually I, I do plan on expanding, but right now my big thing is getting this truck going. <laughs> and I was going to get the truck working. I was going to ask you to, uh, with everything that's going on right now, politics wise which i don't like to get into politics has it has it slowed down at all for you since we have a new president or has it been the same it has absolutely not slowed down for me um the we did see a slowdown during covid obviously once Mm -hmm. everything kind of went to a screeching halt yeah but that's the nice thing about being in gas compression being midstream is is like when even though they stopped drilling new wells there's no i mean we do have gas storage we store gas in underground salt caverns yeah. um and underground salt mines we store the, the gas but still the industry relies on basically a just-in-time delivery so mm-hmm. basically gas is always flowing out of wells through the processing plants through pipelines to distribution to the end user <clears throat> And so in order for this country to run, 
all this machinery has to stay running. There's millions and millions of horsepower all over the country that have to stay online or else the energy stops flowing. So when you're involved in keeping that stuff online, you still, your, um, uh, your workload's a bit more stable than like guys like drillers and frackers and dudes who are building new construction mm-hmm. when they're setting new sites that kind of stuff because when it slows down that's the first to go but as far as being in maintenance and keeping the stuff running that's already running there's a little bit more stability there so i haven't skipped a beat or stopped working since i started out here <laughs> that's good man yeah that's good yeah because i was i was kind of curious since it's oil filled you're you're hurting our environment <laughs> uh, <laughs> you damn that's a whole that's a whole nother topic in itself i mean like that definitely is a whole nother topic <laughs> yeah, I, I like i said before i try to keep politics out of this i try to keep covid out of it but it's always yeah. there there's sometimes you got to talk yeah. about it but yeah, i mean it always makes its way into a um uh into the conversation i mean like that's funny. My mom worked for oil companies when I was growing up, mm-hmm. and then she worked water treatment too. So she would, she actually cleaned up a lot of um, uh, Superfund sites where there was toxic waste and that kind of stuff. So I did get to learn that whole side of it also growing up. Yeah i I worked a uh, used to work on a machine in a biogas plant where human waste was oh, and yeah. grease and yeah. I almost quit my job because of that <laughs> nasty shit. Yeah. I heard grease is like absolutely worse than sewage. Mm-hmm. Well, this had human waste as well. But, oh, uh... best of both worlds, right? <laughs> anyway, man, uh, is there anything that you want to discuss on this? Uh... Uh, hmm. <laughs> I... I don't know. I mean, I had a, like, um, uh, I was going to say like, as far as like someone like me transitioning into like heavy equipment, like, because like I'm in kind of interesting situations since I'm like contracting, um, you know, I run my own truck and all that kind of stuff. I, I, it's kind of one of those, it's like normally any normal person would be like, Oh yeah, I can just go, I'm going to go apply to apply at a dealer, try to get on with this learn that kind of stuff but like because like i'll be driving around i'll see the equipment i want to work on that but it's like i've never worked on a you know a trencher before but i know i can i can weld on i can weld on teeth i can work with hydraulics i can work with gearboxes bearings machinery all that kind of stuff but mm-hmm. i was like do you do you think there'd be a way or if it's even possible to kind of transition into that industry uh, with someone in my position. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I know if my boss saw you and you applied, he'd hire you on the spot just because of the knowledge that you have. Um, yeah, you, you could definitely get into a dealer pretty easily. Um, just cause the engine that you're working on doesn't have tracks on each side of it. Doesn't mean, you know, it's hard to learn. You seem to be a pretty knowledgeable guy as far as, probably being able to read, you know, hydraulic and electrical schematics. So that's all you need, you know, if you, uh, 
if you were to go to like deer or something, their program's pretty pretty simple to run and it tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. So it's pretty simple, man. It but pay wise <laughs> I don't <laughs> think you're gonna get, you know, what you want. Yeah, that's the thing, is it would be one of those I almost like just be like after I'm gonna park the truck and go work for a dealer, learn everything, and then eventually. Yeah, it. That's the tough part, you know, is pay. Yeah. And we can. That's another rabbit hole, you know. Um, so. Yeah, there's. Anyway, man, we can uh, we can wrap this thing up. I know you've had a long freaking day. Yeah, yeah, we're going on. I just <laughs> i uh, I built 13 hours today, so it was pretty long. It was a pretty good day. We're sitting at a hour and thirteen minutes almost. Um, oh wow! Man, I can talk. <laughs> <laughs> no man, you you got a you definitely have a, a a great backstory and um where you started compared to where you're at now. I mean, top notch right there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, if if you're ready to go to bed, we can close this thing out. Oh yeah, I still got. I got off. I got so much tooling on the truck. I got to offload, and so I gotta, I gotta swap stuff back and forth. So I'll, I'll, I'll be going at it for a little while, getting ready to, getting ready to head out back home in the morning. So right on, yeah. And mind you, for everybody listening, it's uh, twelve minutes to ten p.m. right now. So <laughs> after yeah. a long day, but. Uh, yeah, man, let's 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 wrap this thing up. We'll we'll get you back on here at some point. Maybe you can actually come oh, yeah. and, come and visit sometime. We've been talking about. Hey, you know what? Actually, let's talk about this real fast. Did we meet in service trucks on Facebook? No, we. I randomly. Uh, I think we, it was. Uh, Might have been. It was a service trucks page on the Instagram. Was it? So I yeah I because we hit, you and I have never met in person for everybody listening, but we've been friends via Facebook, Instagram. We've had each other's phone numbers for like four years now. <laughs> yeah, years, man. Yeah. Um, I've I've made a lot of friends through social media, man, and a lot of good friends, and it's just wild how it explodes like that and. Oh yeah. I mean, I just started this Instagram page for the podcast in January and we're just shy of a thousand followers already, so Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, That's Bubba. Good. Well let's let's close this thing out. I'll I'll give my my closing out deal and that'll be it. And uh but anyways, uh if you need to get a hold of me or if you guys want to get a hold of TJ, Mr. Blackfoot, um you can just let me know and I can hook you guys up or whatever. But uh, my email is certifiedwrenchpodcast at gmail.com. You know where to find me on Instagram. You know the whole shebang. Uh, I really appreciate you for coming on, man. And it's uh, good to be on. I uh, appreciate everybody listening and uh, everybody's support. And hopefully you enjoyed this episode. But until next time, thank you, TJ, for coming on. And thank uh, you for having me. No problem. And sorry. Uh, no, you're good, man. No, no. Uh, anyway, thanks, guys. Uh, until next time. Peace.